Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to continue our series through the book of Galatians. This is part seven, y'all. That means we have one more week next week to go. How many of you guys have been blessed by this series on Galatians so far? This is part seven. We're going to be in Galatians chapter five, beginning with verse 13. It's a long read here. There's a lot to cover here, but I know it's going to be good. Can you say amen? Here's what the Bible says. If you don't have a Bible, we should have a giant Bible here because you know the saying, we like big Bibles and we cannot lie. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbor as yourself if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other verse 16 so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the spirit For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you. As I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, thank God for the but in the Bible, there's a better way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. In self-control against such things there is no law can you say amen come on let's thank God for his word this morning for the past seven weeks we've been going through the book of Galatians to help us understand that this journey is a journey of grace it starts with grace grace invades our lives And then we're meant to continue to grow in grace, that we don't get grace just to begin the journey. We continue with the journey by the grace of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And Paul is making the point here in chapter 5 and 6 that the grace of God leads us to to live a certain way, that we don't stay the same, and we don't want to stay the same, and we don't want to go backwards. Right? That we talked about this last week that, that grace brings freedom. 
Freedom from the law, freedom from works, freedom from legalism, but also freedom from sin. Right? That grace is not freedom to do whatever we want, but it's to do what we need to do in the will of God. Freedom is not a license to sin. So he says here, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Use your freedom to serve one another. And if you're taking notes today, let me get right into it, my friends, that one of the signs of true freedom, I would say more than a sign, it's a test of true freedom, is are you using your freedom to serve others? That if you're not using your freedom to serve others, then you're not truly free. Because that is a test that shows I'm truly free, that I'm now using the freedom to be a blessing to others. Can you say amen? amen? And Paul makes it clear here that the struggle that we have is that we are now at war with ourselves. The old you is fighting the new you. And he calls this the battle between your sinful nature and your spirit nature. And if you notice, he says, you have the freedom to allow the Holy Spirit to guide your lives. If not, you're allowing your sinful nature to lead your life. Sinful nature versus your spirit nature. I don't know if you notice in the reading, but the Apostle Paul says it comes down to a battle of desires. There is a battle of desire happening within us. Two forces are our war. The old me versus the new me. The sinful nature, if you're taking notes, the flesh, it's not necessarily your physical body, it is your will. He's talking about your will that produces certain desires. In other words, your sinful heart. The word heart, will, soul is all the same thing. He's talking about the real you, not the physical you. Right? Competes against the new you or the new self. But it all comes down to desire. What's powerful is that as I was studying, I relied heavily on Pastor Tim Keller's commentary on the book of Galatians. And he said something really powerful about desire. He says, he says our struggle is not just desire. Our struggle is, is over-desire. He says, we don't struggle because we want to do bad things. We struggle because we want to do good things. And those good things can become over-desires. Let that sink in for a second. Matter of fact, I want to I read what he said word for word in his commentary. He says, the main problem our heart has is not so much desires for bad things, but our over-desires for good things. And what he's saying is, when a good thing thing becomes our God, it creates an over-desire. In other words, love becomes lust. Yes, ma'am. And when, when the over-desire takes over, now we are driven and controlled by these things. And so we become victims of our own desires. We... Now say things like, I must have this, or I must have that. 
not realizing that I'm actually giving myself over to the desires of my flesh. And I'm no longer being led by the Spirit. On the other hand, the Spirit of God longs to glorify Jesus in us and through us. It, the Spirit of God yearns to set us truly free so that we're not bound by over-desires. But we are, we are led by godly desires. But the bottom line is, my friends, we must choose. This is where the power of free will comes to play. Which nature do we want to rule the day? Once again, the sinful nature is the old motivational system. To put it another way, your sinful nature is the old software that needs to be upgraded to the new. And in order for you to be in the new, you also have to download antiviruses to deal with the viruses that are keeping you from living in the new. Let me put it another way. The old sinful nature, my friends, is that part of you that wants to be his own God, that wants to be in control, that wants to call the shots, that wants to have its way. And when the sinful nature is leading the way, that's when you create your own moral value systems. You start to pick and choose what matters and what doesn't matter based on your sinful nature, not because you're being led by the Spirit of God. Are you tracking so far? And notice in the reading that Paul said something really powerful. He says, listen, when you are being led by your sinful nature, the acts are obvious. But he said, when you're being led by the Spirit of God, you produce certain fruit. Notice the difference between Acts and fruit. Acts, I'm just doing my thing. Fruit, I'm producing what the Spirit of God can only produce in me when I'm yielded to Him and His will and His purpose. In other words, it's impossible for me to produce fruit. But it's very possible for me to act. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you understand. In other words, one requires no effort. It's just me being me. The other requires yielding and surrendering in order for the, fruit, for the right fruit to be produced out of me. And so he decides here, he's like, I want to spell this out for you guys so it's clear if you're being led by your sinful nature or you are yielded to the spirit nature. He says, let me, let me open it and just be clear about what those acts are so you're not in doubt. Because like I told you last week, it doesn't matter how much you say you're free. It's how you're acting or what you're producing. That says if you're really free. So if you're taking notes, man, he gives you categories here of how the sinful nature manifests itself or acts without the Spirit of God. And he starts with our over-desire for sex. Good morning. Like Paul goes straight for the jugular. Says, let me start with your over-desire for something that God created, but now when you take over, here's what happens. Can we go there? 
Look, it starts with three things. It says, you can become a slave to your sexual desires if you're not being led by the Spirit of God. And he gives you three things here, and I want to give you the definition of each one from the Greek translation. He says, look, when you're, when, when you're being led by your own flesh, it produces sexual immorality, meaning sexual intercourse between unmarried people. In other words, God created sex as or something that brings two people together under the covenant of marriage. But when you have an over-desire for it, you bypass God's principle and you go ahead and do it your own way and you pay a price for it. Getting quiet in this Baptist church. He says it's not, just, it's not just sexual intercourse between unmarried people, but it's impurity. It leads to unnatural practices and relationships. That God never co-signed. In other words, he gave you a desire for sex and you turned it into lust. So in other words, sex is a good thing when it's under the spirit of God. And then it leads to lustful pleasure, which means uncontrolled sexuality. I don't know if you're paying attention. You know, we have a drug epidemic, but we also have a sexual epidemic. All because we have allowed the flesh to rule the day. And we have to come face to face with this reality and say, do I want to keep acting out or do I want to yield to the Spirit of God so that I can actually enjoy the very thing that God created me to enjoy? (laughs) Then he gets to the second category. He says, Here's another category where you can see clearly that you're not being led by the Spirit of God. It goes into, by the way, let me just, let me say this to the parents. This Saturday, we're having a parental forum to talk about the sex education that's being taught in schools. Because, unfortunately, our education system is going the way of the flesh. And it's teaching our kids all the wrong understanding of what sex is supposed to be all about. And it's starting, unfortunately, very young now. So parents, I don't care how old your kid is, I think you should come and be educated because I know this is uncomfortable, but in God's church, we need to tell the truth. So this, this Saturday, 10 a.m., we'll be here. Parents, you're all welcome to come. Or if you're in education or you work with youth, come because I believe that, that if we don't lead the way, our kid's going to be led astray. While we at it, if we don't model the way, we have no leg to stand on. You can't tell your kid, do as I say, but you acting out in your flesh. Whatever you say doesn't translate. It's what you're doing. Kids are much smarter than you think they are. They're not listening. They're watching. And you could be doing it behind closed doors, but you brought that spirit into your house. Hello. And spirits have no walls. Y'all ain't ready for this today. Aren't you glad you came to church? (laughs) When you're being led by the flesh, he says, it produces slave gods. In other words, you start worshiping all the wrong things. Because what is worship, my friends, please hear me. Worship is not 
singing some songs. Worship is your lifestyle. Worship is not just songs. It's what gets your devotion, what gets your attention, what gets your energy, where you go to draw strength and, and wisdom and power. That's all worship. And he's saying, if you're not being led by the Spirit of God, you're going to stop settling for less gods, slave gods. And, he's, and he mentions a couple of things here. He says it leads to idolatry. In other words, you start to create inadequate substitutes for God. In other words, a good thing becomes an idol. You know when the Spirit of God is not in the right place in your life, your career becomes an idol. Your marriage can become an idol. Your kids. I see people have kids that God gave them. Now they're going to worship their kids and stop coming to church because they have to worship the, the calendar of their children. <laughs> oh, they're ready for this. You got parents still living their lives with their kids. Uncle, I call that the Uncle Rico syndrome. You didn't go to the NBA, and your, sh- your kids sure ain't going to the NBA. So you better bring them to the house of God where he has a chance. <laughs> I am feisty today. <laughs> Listen, anything, any good thing can become an idol when we put it above God. The very thing that God blessed you with, you can put them above God. Money becomes an idol. That's why some people, the moment we say, let's continue to worship God through giving, we get tight. You can't serve to God, the Bible says. And money is not even a problem. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, not money. You see, money is a great resource, but it's a terrible God. I don't know if you ever paid attention, but even your money preaches to you. Take out a dollar bill and read it. What does he tell you? In God we trust. Just, just letting you know. It leads to pursuing other spirits. He mentioned witchcraft. It's another word for sorcery. Which, in other words, it's, it's the fake work of the spirit. People get desperate. What do they do? They consult tarot card reading, psychic reading, all the fugazi, all the nonsense. It's like going to pay less and buying a pair of Jordans. In other words, it's not the real thing. It's the counterfeit spirit. When the lady starts saying, you know, I'm feeling some things in the room, the devil's a liar. You feel nothing. You're lying to your teeth. Okay, I don't need no psychic. I got the spirit of God to lead me. <laughs> for $9.99, I'll read your palm. No, 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 for free. I can let the Lord of God come and read my spirit. And while we're on it, man, there, there are some, some, some fugazi preachers too. If you call right now, we'll give you this oil from Israel. You are a liar. You've never been to Israel. You don't even know where Israel is. Oh, we got to wake up to the reality that there's spirits. And if you're not letting the Holy Spirit feed you, you're going to be fed all the wrong spirits. Slave gods. Go on. We got more to go. He talks about attitudes of the flesh. Watch this. Go ahead. He says... It leads you to have these fleshly attitudes that is not producing life. And he mentions a bunch of them. He starts with hatred. He says, when you're being led by your flesh, it leads to hostility 
And you have this adversarial attitude. In other words, you think everybody's against you. Like this is the, this is the hater syndrome right now. Everybody's a hater. But it's like, who are you talking about? It's like people online, these haters. It's like you got two followers. It's your mom and your aunt. Like, <laughs> who's hating? You're in the flesh. You're thinking everybody's hating. Discord. Discord is those people that are always argumentative, always looking to pick fights. They're never satisfied. They always got to find something wrong. In the flesh. Jealousy. I love the way the Greek translates jealousy. It says it's energy from a hungry ego. You ever play hungry hippo with your kids? That's what jealousy is. Always, what you learn in church today? Don't be a hungry hippo. Like, what's wrong with you? Fits of rage. Our society is filled by not getting our way. Always angry, always bitter, always frustrated, always mad at something. Everything could be right, you're still angry. You're being dominated by the flesh. Keep going, there's more. Selfish ambition, competitive and self-seeking. Everything is a competition. You can notice in people that they can never celebrate another person's victories. Oh, I will. How about this one? Dissensions. Division between people. Always dividing. Always finding another angle to divide people. And I hate to say this. We see this with so-called Christians all the time. They'll use the Bible to bring division. Not realizing the very devil quoted the Bible to Jesus doesn't mean he quoted right. (laughs) Beware of people who are carrying the spirits and talking about it's in the Bible. It could be in the Bible, but you could have the wrong spirit. Division between people leading to anger. Factions, how about this one? Clicks and warring groups. In other words, everybody has to pick a side. America is divided into factions. Are you, the, are you, are you Fox News or are you CNN? Because if you're CNN, you're not into Fox. Or are you into MSNBC? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Liberal, conservative, this and that. And, and then we do the same thing with the Bible. It's not enough to be a follower of Jesus. What kind of follower of Jesus are you? Do you fit into my clique? Not realizing we're buying into the flesh narrative. Envy, desiring what others have. Like, you could be, have a great life, but you go on Instagram and you saw someone else's life and you're like, my life sucks now. <laughs> Not realizing it took them 45 minutes to post that perfect picture of something that's not even real. And you, you, you go home and talk about, honey, how, how come we don't do that? Because that ain't us. You don't have to post something to project happiness. Because if you're truly happy, no one needs to know. <laughs> it's like, was it about the meal? Was it about the plate to take a picture? Uh, uh, Friends, it goes on to say it leads to, sadly, substance abuse. 
being led by the flesh, drunkenness. I found interesting studying the word orgies there is actually drinking orgies. It's, it's the, yo, you got to come to this party. It's about to be lit. Yeah, the only thing lit is your soul. And I realize in that you invited spirits that's leading you to addiction. And I don't have to go much about addiction because we all know what that does. Because we all have been there or we know someone who's there right now battling substance abuse because they've allowed their flesh to lead the way and not the spirit. And my friends, Paul ends this with a very strong warning. He says this. He says, I, as I, I, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's heavy, my friends. He says, you keep living that way, you're going to miss out on God's kingdom. And some are going to miss it out forever. What you have to understand about Paul, he's not referring to, you know, you messed up. He's talking about when you created a lifestyle of the flesh, habitual practices. And what he wants to do with the church, he wants to banish complacency. He's saying, man, don't let the flesh rule the day. These things do not belong to believers. That's the old. The new has come. Believers should be living in repentance. Repentance is to change your mind and say, God, I want to yield to your spirit. Because I want to produce the right fruit in my life. And there's no repentance without the spirit anyways. It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. You can even think about repenting without the Holy Spirit convicting you to bring you to repentance. Because you don't have what it takes. You think, think about it. I know we're in church, but some of y'all and some of us, in our flesh, we were actually celebrating those things. And when the Spirit hit home, we're like, what the heck was I doing? That party wasn't lit. I was on my way to hell. Hello, somebody. I just want to give you personal testimony so you don't think I'm up here like I'm holier than thou. Just my jeans are. <laughs> I remember when the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. I was 19 years old. I remember, forget, I was in a club one day, which, by the way, think about the concept of a club. You pay at the door. You tithe at the door. And then you tie some more. <laughs> you want to drink? It's going to cost you an arm and a leg. I remember being in the club, and it felt like the whole thing muted. I remember sitting there going, what is happening? I didn't know this, but the Holy Spirit was trying to reveal to me, look, it's all dead around you. Never seen people act out on mute? Like, go home and, and watch a music video on mute. That's what a club is. And you see it clearly, like, whoa, <laughs> what are we doing? But in my sinful nature... This is normal. In the spirit nature, what the heck are we doing? That's why Paul gives a strong warning. He's like, you have no idea, man. You're playing with fire. 
literally and metaphorically. But thank God that there's a better way. Thank God that there's a better way. He says, but the Spirit comes to produce fruit in you. Tim Keller, again, in his, in his commentary, says, here's how the, the Spirit works. And go ahead and put up. He says, listen, there's four things that, that, that will happen when you begin to yield to the Holy Spirit. He says, look, when you yield to the Holy Spirit, growth is gradual. Because think about it. It's a fruit. You don't give fruit overnight. You give fruit over time. Like no farmer plants today and believes he's going to reap tomorrow. The farmer knows if I plant today and I cultivate the land, there's going to come a season of reaping. So it doesn't happen over to- overnight. It happens over time. Growth is gradual. Just like a fruit is gradual. And that's good news. Because we live in a microwave society. We think, to, you know, I pray right now and nothing happened. It's like, well, you're sowing. Can you, can you stand the time where you can see the reaping? For example, the way the fruit of God works in you is so gradual, which, by the way, notice he said the fruit of God comes to empower you to serve others, and usually it's others that begin to notice it. All of a sudden, your co-worker's like, wow, you've been very patient lately. And you go... You know what? Now that you said that, six months ago, I would have been wilding out right now. Right? People begin to say, what are you doing different? You look happier. And you're like, even though that day you were grumpy, you were tight, you're like, wait, you know what? Man, this last couple of years, I've just been seeing growth happening in me. And I want to say this, I want to encourage you because I know the, the, the devil is a liar. In the world, we want, we want quick, instant fruit. But in the, in, the, in the Jesus movement, it's an overtime kind of fruit. So hang in the pocket and let him produce the fruit that he wants to produce. Look, fruit is, is inevitable. I love that. If you are in the spirit, you're going to produce. It's inevitable. There will be growth, my friends. Spirit will burst through in due time. If you don't believe me, on your way home today, notice how all around us is a concrete jungle, but man, things grow even in concrete. Why? Because the power of a seed, man, is more powerful than any obstacle that tries to stand in its way. So in other words, if the Spirit of God is in you, come hell or white water, growth will happen. Fruit is inevitable. God is faithful. Never, matter of fact, usually when things are hard, that's when God is at his best to produce the fruits that we want to see in our lives. And then this one, this is, this is amazing. Fruit as internal roots. Think about it for a second. Apple, an apple doesn't give life to the tree. The apple is the sign of life in a tree. Now think about it. The life produces the fruit, not the other way around. Now why is this important? Now we're going somewhere here. Gifts 
are not a sign of the Spirit. You can project the gift, but not have the character to sustain the gift. Y'all didn't get that. A lot of people thinking they're operating in the Spirit. All you're doing is operating in your gifting, but sooner or later, your gifting might take you places that your Spirit cannot keep you. We see this all the time with, with professional athletes who are very gifted but don't have the character to sustain the gift. Only the spirit can produce the character. That's why when I, when I go to ministry school and try to help our young people who are working to, to become ministers, I always tell them, don't work on the gift, work on the character because the character will sustain you where the gift cannot take you. So you can be gifted and I've been operating in the spirit. Because sooner or later, the reality is this, your gift will expose you if you don't have the character. That's why we get surprised by gifted people who do crazy things. And then we, we find out, wait, they were just living in a gifting, but behind closed doors, they weren't abiding in the spirit. Oh, y'all ain't ready for this. That's a mature word. You're like, yo, did you see? Yeah, we shouldn't be surprised. The problem is we are in the flesh. We love gifts, but we don't love character. Growth is symmetrical. This is a really good, this is a really good word. Let me give you one more example first of fruits as internal roots because I want to bring conviction to the room. <laughs> in the Bible, you see this. You see people who are gifted, but who aren't operating in the spirit. King Saul was a gifted king, but he didn't have the spirit of God. So he prophesied, but he couldn't keep his place of prophecy. Judas was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He saw miracles, he cast out demons, but he didn't have the character to sustain them in the fold. He was betrayed by his love for money. So yeah. I want the gift, but I want the character that can sustain the gifting. Growth is symmetrical. What does that mean? It's a really good point. See, I don't know if you noticed, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits, the fruit, singular. Right? The, the Spirit is singular. In other words, it's one person, the Holy Spirit, that produces the Spirit-filled person. The real fruit of the Spirit always grows together. There's parts of the Spirit, but it's one. They are one. Now, what does that mean? It means that naturally, you and I have certain temperaments that come natural to us. That makes us naturally stronger in some areas. But it doesn't mean we'll be led by the Spirit. It just means that you're naturally inclined to be a certain way. Let me give you an example because I can see your, your wheels are turning. You could be a gentle person by nature. And you could be very diplomatic by nature. This is your nature. It's your personality. It's how, it's how you are. But that doesn't mean you are bold and courageous and have the fruit of faithfulness in you. In other words, it's this way. It's like 
You are so gentle that sometimes there's, need, there's a need for confrontation because there's no growth without confrontation, but you don't have the spirit in you to help you confront. So what you end up doing is you end up deflecting confrontation, not realizing that you're actually harming the situation. It's, it's what the Bible says, right? John says it this way. He says, he says, you say you love God, but you never see them, but you don't love people that you see every day. You're a liar. He calls you a liar. Why? Because he's saying you don't have really the love of God in you to produce the fruit to be able to love others. Let me give you another example. And this ain't me. Some people have a natural temperament for joy and happiness. They're naturally joyful. They're bubbly. There's some people, they're just like, by nature, they're just like, I'm like, that ain't me. You got to like crank me up to really get going in the area of joy. Right? But these people, problem is, when you, when you look closer, they're bubbly, but they're unreliable. In other words, they're the ones that were like, Oh my God, it's, so, it's amazing. Everything is amazing. But then you're like, hey, I'm waiting on you to come help me move. Or we got this Serve the City project going on. They love to worship, but they don't love to work. So they're the, they're the ones who give you this. They'll give you this. Because Christians, we, we are so weird people. We go, we go, if I don't make it, I'll be with you in spirit. He's like, there's no such thing. We need hands. Like, this thing is going to move itself. So in other words, by nature, you're, you're, you're bubbly, but you ain't got faithfulness. Because it ain't from the fruit of the spirit. That's from you. Are you, are you getting this? Here's another one. Some people, by nature, are peaceful. By nature, they're like... I'm in my space, right? And they're, and they're good like that until someone invades their space. Some people are really peaceful when they're by themselves. But put them in a crowd. It's a whole other conversation. Because why? Because they don't understand. That's your natural inclination. This doesn't mean you have the fruit of the Spirit that empowers you to be peaceful in all circumstances and situations. One more. And people were like, I am a really good person. Don't really need to go to church. I'm a good person. But it's like, you, you, you misunderstood what he said. He said, the gifts are given to you for you to project to the community. In other words, you don't know you have the Holy Spirit unless you are in community. You can have a great concept of marriage when you're single. Until you're married. And all of your theories go out the window. <laughs> it's like the woman that my wife and I were on vacation. We're having breakfast and she's pregnant. And she kept coming around telling us, but we didn't, we didn't disclose much. But she's like, yeah, I'm actually writing a book on how to raise children. 
And I'm like, oh boy, it's going to be good. <laughs> and throughout the time she was serving us, she kept telling us about the book. And, and she goes, you know what one chapter is? I was like, please tell me. It's like I have a whole chapter how you should never say no to your kids. So that's when I lost the spirit. And I said, can I just ask you a question? How many kids do you have? She goes, oh, it's going to be my first one. I was like, check please. It sounds good in theory until those knuckleheads start running the house. So in other words, you can have certain temperament, but it doesn't mean you know what you have the fruit because the fruit is only produced when you are in community with others. So when people say, I don't have to go to church, it's like, yeah, because you're not really living in the spirit. You're living on your own. On your own, we're all amazing. <laughs> right? We're all amazing on our own. But the problem is he's saying the fruit was, the, the gift of the spirit was given for community. It's to love one another. I don't know if you caught that. It wasn't for you. Actually, you don't even know you have it until you are in community. So let's, can we look at the fruit of the Spirit? Because there's parts to it, right? And who, look at how the Greek translates it. Because this is the beauty of studying the Bible. Because usually we say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. But we're just thinking about ourselves. Like when you pray for peace, you're not thinking about anybody else. But the Spirit is saying, oh, if I give you peace, it's for you to bring it to others. Watch this, watch. Let's go through it. Watch the first one, love. The word there is agape. It actually means this. It's to serve a person for their value, not what they can do for you. In other words, the opposite of, of the fruit of the spirit of love is self-protection and abusing people. In other words, you only love when it's convenient. And worse, you can use so-called love, but it feels like, well, how come I feel abused in this love? How come I feel manipulated in this love? I'm only doing this because I love you. It's like, how come you don't feel like that? How come it feels like it hurts? It's like that saying, right? It's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt you. It's like, nah, nah, dad. It's going to hurt me. Like, <laughs> this is agape love. Only the Holy Spirit can give you this love. We don't have it. We don't have this kind of love that, that serves a person for their value. Think about it, right? I was thinking about this, about marriage. I think a lot of us need to go back and re-listen to the vows we made. Because that's what we said in the vows. But in the heat of the moment, the vows go out the window. Right? Like I was telling some a young man the other day, I was like, notice in marriage, right, when you're doing the vow, you're just like, to love and to cherish, to death do us apart, come hell or high water, I'm going to take care of you, going to love you, and then marriage comes. The reality comes into play. Now, okay, when you said that, did you mean that you're going to serve this person for their value or because they're going to bring value to you? Hello. Because when, when it's not fair, then, then our marriage begins to get in trouble. Because the problem is we thought that the Spirit came for me. You know, He came for you to empower you to actually have a great marriage, have great parenting, have great businesses, being able to actually live out 
what this stuff actually looks like. Because you ain't going to always feel married. <laughs> right? And now we got this nonsense of, you know, I'm just not happy anymore. It's like, who told you you're always going to be happy, though? <laughs> Where in the vow did he say, we're always going to be happy? Yeah, you need to go back and reread the contract. Because <laughs> the covenant is a contract. Hello. Am I preaching? Look, joy. Joy is the next part of the fruit. Joy, my friends, is, it literally means to delight in God. To take pleasure in your God. Because the opposite of that is to have mood swings based on circumstances. Think about it, right? I used to be a youth pastor. I used to tell the kids all the time. I'm like, some of y'all, you look schizophrenic. Because one day God's good. The next day God doesn't, God's not even real. Why? Because you're not rooted in his joy. You're rooted in your circumstances. That's why there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is produced when I yield my life to the Holy Spirit. Happiness means Something always has to keep happening for me to be happy. That's why I'm in a roller coaster of mood swings. You're in church. You're having a good time. You go home. Your, your pipe bursts. Now you. <laughs> the same Jesus, the good grace goes out the window. Because <laughs> you're not delighting in the fact that God is good. Even when the circumstance is not good. That's the joy of the Lord. That becomes your strength in all situations. Let's keep going because I'm running out of time. Next one is peace. Shalom is the word here. It's the confidence and rest in the wisdom and control of God. That's the peace. The Bible says it's a peace that makes no sense. That will guide your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, God's peace is, is independent of things that are out of your control. Because the opposite of that is anxiety and worry. We are living in a very anxious society. Why? Because we don't have the peace of God. And worse, we try to earn peace. Try to find peace. And the more you pursue peace, the more you don't have peace. Peace is produced from a place of surrender. It makes no sense. It's like, man, with everything going on in your life, why do you look so peaceful? Well, because I have the confidence and the rest and the wisdom that God is sovereign. I'm not sovereign, so I'm going to trust him. His peace. Keep going. Patience. Notice all of it is projected by how you deal with others. Patience is facing trouble without blowing up. Again, you think you're patient until you get poked. But patience is actually after you get poked. Because the opposite is resentment toward God and others. There's a lot of people angry at God because they didn't think God did what they wanted God to do. Actually, some people are mad because they're like, I prayed and nothing happened. And we don't realize that you have a timeline, and God has his own timeline. And I don't know if you've been with God long enough 
that God has eternal perspective on things and have some things that he's not answering knowing this is not going to be good for you down the line. So be patient. Oh, I'm preaching. If God answers all your prayers, you might marry the wrong person. Oh, hello, somebody. Some of us should be thanking God that he didn't answer all of our prayers. Like, I don't know if you're old enough to look back and go, God, you're so good that you didn't answer that. What the heck was I thinking? Patience. God plays the long-term game. We play the immediate game. So in God's economy, usually it's not that he didn't answer your prayer. He didn't answer it the way you want him to answer. Because no is an answer. Right? It's like when your kids are throwing a tantrum. You're like, I already said no. But we got it. I, I had this picture the other day. Uh, my kids throwing a tantrum. And then I, I felt the Holy Spirit say, see, that's you guys. With me. Keep going. I got more out of time. Kindness. Kindness means to serve others practically. A deeper inner security. You know what kindness is? It's like, it's like me helping you doesn't make me any less. And it doesn't take away from anything. See, we confuse kindness with feeling bad. Not the same thing. You could be feel bad and not do anything practically to help. Like some people, again, by ourselves, we're very kind people. Watching TV, it's, it's that sad commercial with the dogs. You know that sad commercial? <laughs> Gets you every time, man. All in the field. You're like crying. You don't even like dogs, but you're like. <laughs> and after you cry, and Sigourney Weaver is done singing, <laughs> what do you do? You change the channel. That's not kindness. That's feeling bad. Kindness is going, oh, man, I need to call this thing and do something about this because there's a need. And if I can meet it, practically speaking, then the Spirit of God is leading me into action. We have too many people, I said it last week, who have a theory of Christianity, but they don't have a practicality of Christianity that actually helps. It's the opposite of doing good deeds for selfish reasons. It's the hashtag blessed that just helped the homeless. So did you... Activate the spirit of kindness or you activated the spirit of manipulation. Because the Bible says when you do a good deed, don't let the left hand know what the right hand did. You guys good? Can I go a little more? Goodness is the other part of the spirit. Watch this. Goodness means integrity. It means to be one person. Goodness is being the same person in every situation. The opposite of goodness is phony and hypocritical. We all know phony and hypocritical people. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, you become one. You're one at two in the afternoon and you're the same at two in the morning. You're the same at the gym as you are in church. If we go on your Facebook, 
I hope to God that you're manifesting the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because you think you know someone. Then you see they post. And you're like, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth tweets. That's coming from somewhere. Integrity means I'm the same person on social media that I am in real life. You know, at our school of ministry, we started doing this. We started interviewing students. The moment they leave, we go, pull up the Facebook. Let's really find out. Because you told me everything I want to hear. Now let me see what I need to hear. People don't realize that. That's just the, that's, your social media is the outcome of your heart. Out of abundance of the heart, you DM. If you're not a millennial or a Gen Z, DM means direct message on Instagram. <laughs> and if you don't have Instagram, you're not missing out on anything. Matter of fact, a lot of us would have more integrity if we just get rid of our social media. Then there's no pressure to be it. I was joking with someone, I said, notice that the people that can solve the world's problems, they're all on social media. Some people know how we could, how we could get rid of COVID, how to have peace in Ukraine, <laughs> how to get rid of Putin, all in their basement in undies going, you know what we need to do. To <laughs> yeah, why don't you start by getting a job? That, that would be a solution. You know what's wrong with the church. I don't know, you don't even go. How would you know? <laughs> it's like, hey, we need to go on Facebook and find our, our future politicians and, 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 and doctors, man. Everybody has a degree on your comment page. <laughs> I got to go. I'm going to get in trouble. Keep going. Next one. Faithfulness. You know what faithfulness means? Loyalty and courage. Can I just have a disclaimer here? Where are all the loyal people? So many flaky people, phony people. You know, in your face, praise God, behind your back. What happened to like, yo, to death do us apart, to thick and thin, come hell or high water, church is a marriage. Jesus called it his bride. What happened to being loyal and having courage when everybody seems to be running away? Because you don't know what you're made of until you hit adversity. Everybody has courage in a time of peace. But do we have it in us to do what the Ukrainians are doing right now and fight to keep their peace? Hey, what happened to being reliable and trustworthy? The good old stuff that makes us who we are as people. We live in such an unreliable age. And I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. What happened to saying what we mean and mean what we say? If I say I'm going to be there, I don't throw the, I'm, yeah, but in the spirit. Like what happened to faithfulness? What happened 
when we said, till death do us apart. What happened? Because the opposite is to just be self-seeking. I'm in this marriage until it doesn't suit me anymore. I'm in this church until it doesn't suit me anymore. I'm in this job until it doesn't suit me anymore. I'm in this until me, 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 me. Not use your freedom to serve others. Because if we're all serving each other, then no one gets left out. I'm almost done hanging there. Gentleness. Gentleness is humility and self-forgetfulness. Everybody got to flex now. <laughs> I just feel like if you have to flex, you're, you're ready to, you don't have it. <laughs> you just don't. It's like the person, I was joking with the staff the other day. I'm like, you, you ever heard someone who, who, who has some type of position somewhere? They go, you, do you know who I am? And it's like, wait, you forgot? Because <laughs> we're in trouble. You're managing us, and you don't know where you are. <laughs> the moment you say that, you don't have leverage anymore because you're projecting. Humility is, is another word for quiet strength. It's quiet strength. It's there already. I don't have to tell you. It's there. Opposite is superiority and self-absorbed. The most... The people that feel most superior are the most insecure. Do you know who I am? No, wait. You don't know who you are. That's a problem. I got to go. Worship team, come on. We're running out of time. Self-control is the last one. Self-control is the ability to pursue the important over the urgent. God knows we need this. God knows we need this. We get in trouble because... We pursue the immediate and forsake the long term. Self-control is what keeps you from having an affair. Self-control is what keeps you from sustaining your business. Self-control is if you can cash your paycheck, then you can do your taxes the right way. Self-control is the opposite of being impulsive and uncontrolled. Always going with whatever I'm feeling in the moment. Knowing that your feelings come and go. Your feelings collide to you. That's why in the vow, I don't know why I keep going to marriage today. I don't know, God's doing something there. There's nothing about feelings in the vows. And there's nothing about feelings in obedience to the Lord. Matter of fact, the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. It's not about feelings. Feelings come and go. Self-control to me is the, is the duct tape of the soul. Is the glue that keeps everything in place. Self-control is, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant in this vow even though my feelings are trying to get the best of me. I'm in this for the long haul. Like, you don't know who's going to be in it for the long haul anymore. So, so, there was a time, I, I don't know, I feel like you can count on some people. Now you're like, I don't even know. 
if we're in this for the long haul. Well, stay with me as we pray this morning. Friends, Paul says it's one spirit working in us. And he goes on to say in another book, he says, you have to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't do this one time. Because if you're not being led by the Spirit, you're automatically being led by your flesh. So he ends the chapter this way. Go ahead. He says, for those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. See, crucified means you died. You don't flirt with it. You don't justify it. You don't make excuses for it. You died to it. And you know what Paul says? He says, I die daily. Daily. So the Spirit of God may live in me. Since we live by the Spirit, watch this. Let us keep in what? In step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. In step. You know what in step means? Like I'm not ahead of the Spirit, I'm not behind the Spirit. I'm in step with the Spirit. Which means I daily need the Spirit. Like I can't survive an hour without the Spirit leading. I don't know about you. I can't go to Walmart without the Holy Spirit. Because you lose your salvation at Walmart. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you go to Walmart without the Holy Spirit, you're coming in the flesh. You're about to kill somebody. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You know why the Holy Spirit is God? Jesus said, I'm going to go, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and He's going to reside in you. So that He's with you at all times. I love when we sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. My favorite part about that song is it says, let us become more aware of your presence. In other words, help me live in step with you. Because I'm not in step with you, man. I regress to something less than. So bow your heads with me as we pray. Why do we bow our heads? Because it's it's self-reflection, my friends. Each one of us have to reflect and say, is there part of me that is in the flesh? Because Paul was very strong here. He says, hey, you live a lifestyle of the flesh, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's serious, y'all. That's eternal. But you can repent. You can turn away from your sins. And you can yield to the Holy Spirit. You can live a Spirit-filled life continuously. Not just one time or two times, but for the rest of your life, Holy Spirit, fill me continuously fill with the Holy Spirit. Listen, let's pray together. If you're here, you're like, man, you're talking to me. I, I don't, I'm not living in tune with the Holy Spirit. I've never surrendered my life. I'm living in the flesh. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. If you feel like the Lord is convicting you, pray this prayer with me. Say, say, Lord, I, I heard you loud and clear today and I want to submit my life to you. I want you to forgive me for my sins and I want you to empower me by your spirit so that I can live in step with you producing the right fruit and if you've already been a believer listen be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit I pray today you get a fresh outpouring of God's spirit a fresh indwelling of the spirit of God that would empower you to live above the level of sin and mediocrity that you would produce not you but he will produce joy in you love peace patience
kindness, goodness, meekness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Would you pray that? Lift your hand and invite him. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You're welcome in my life. You're welcome in my mind. You're welcome in my heart and soul. I want to be a vessel that you can fill.